Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And if Trump gets away with his national emergency, if he actually makes this happen, if he pulls this off, what's next? This is, uh, you know, a really interesting question Naomi Klein is asking spot on. She's like, you know, what's to stop him from declaring emergencies over and over if this works? If he wants to intensify state violence, if he wants to intensify surveillance, if he wants curfews, if he wants no protest zones, if he wants to start imprisoning Democrats, I mean, what's to stop him if he wins this fight? Now, here's what's particularly weird about this. And I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this, too, where this might go. I mean, what's the worst possible outcome of Trump just going completely nuts? Keep in mind, if he were to declare a state of emergency, his ability to be petty and vindictive would become virtually unlimited. Now, lest you think that's no small thing, California is the sixth, I think, largest economy in the world. It's a major state in the United States population of, I think, around 38 million, as I recall, something in that neighborhood. A lot of people. And California has been ravaged by wildfires as a result of climate change. Donald Trump says it's because they're not raking the leaves in their forests, but that's nonsense. He's been hallucinating. But on Monday, when Gavin Newsom, the new governor of California, was sworn in, and this is from uh, Bob Nay's news report. He says, uh, during his inauguration address Monday, Gavin Newsom called Trump incompetent and vowed to double down on California's efforts to provide sanctuary to illegal immigrants to slam the president over the border, right? Gavin Newsom does that on Monday when he's sworn in. On Tuesday, Trump says, we're going to order FEMA to no longer send money to California, which declared a state of emergency over these fires. I mean, 86 people died just in the town of Paradise. So we're talking about serious punishment. This is what he's doing. Don't ever underestimate this guy's willingness to be malicious or his essentially malicious nature. Don't ever underestimate how much and how often he lies. There was a website, a bookmaking website in the European Union. I'm not sure exactly which country it was based in, but it's bookmaker.eu is the website. And on Tuesday, they were offering bets on how many times Trump would lie during his eight-minute address. And if he lied more than three and a half times, if you bet that he would lie more than three and a half times, you would win the bet. The bookmaking site was betting that he would lie three and a half or fewer times in those eight minutes. And of course, the bookmaker lost. They're paying out $276,424 in payments. That's how much money they lost, $270,000 plus. And the reason it was only that small is because they limited bets to $2,000, a maximum of $2,000. So if you bet that Trump would lie more than four times in eight minutes, you made good money. You could make $2,000. So he lies. He's vindictive. He doesn't respect the norms of a republic or a democracy 
or a democracy in a republic, which is, you know, theoretically what we have here. And he's even talking about a national emergency. He's using the word do a national emergency, not declare a national emergency. In other words, talking about the powers, using the powers without talking about why or how you invoke them or any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, as I said, Naomi Klein pointing this out. Now, Amanda Marcotte has a just fascinating take on this that I wanted to share with you. I think it's really worth pointing out. Donald Trump, on more than one occasion, has basically said, give me some money for the wall so I can claim that the wall is being built. And I'll tell my followers, hey, you know, I got the money, we're building the wall, and everything will be good. And so Congress did that in the legislation that passed the Senate unanimously before the end of the year, in December. I, th I think it was December 19th, or yeah, December 19th. This passed the Senate unanimously. There was $1.6 billion for border security, which included fencing and wall stuff. And Trump had said, yeah, cool, I'll sign that. And so the Senate passed it unanimously and sent it to the House. Now, this is a Republican-controlled Senate at the time. Well, it still is. And they sent it to the Republican-controlled House. And then the next day, Sean Hannity and Lou Dobbs and Laura Ingram and Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh get in his face saying, wait a minute, you wanted $5 billion? They're not giving you $5 billion? What are you, a wimp? And now this is from Media Matters. The headline, Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity advised Trump on shutdown strategy as Oval Office speech reflected it. The pair reportedly told Trump to, quote, push forward for wall funding and break the Democrats' will. That's what he's trying to do. Which takes us back to this, you know, if he wins this thing, what's next? Where does he go next? Amanda Marcotte is, I think, correctly pointing out that Trump was perfectly willing to take a compromise and claim victory. And it's Fox News that didn't let him do it. Now, this raises an interesting question. Why is Fox News doing this? Why are they preventing the president from reopening government? I mean, you want to reopen government? All Mitch McConnell would have to do is allow a vote on the floor of the Senate on the exact same bill that passed the Senate unanimously on December 19th. Because Nancy Pelosi just signed that, passed that in the Senate. It includes funding for the wall and sent it out of the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, Mitch McTurtle here, will not allow a vote on it. And he apparently won't because he's afraid of Fox News, too. So is management at Fox News believing that this is like the best thing for Republicans and for Trump? I mean, they're the ones who are preventing Trump from reopening the government, Fox News. Every time Trump turns on Fox News and sees, you know, hosts and guests saying, oh, yeah, stand tall, Donald, break the will of the Democrats. He basically has no choice. Because he has always done exactly what Fox News tells him to do. And Fox News is saying, fight this one. But why? Why would Fox News be doing this? Is it that they truly want to break the will of the Democrats? They want to just destroy the Democratic Party? Do they think that this is what's going to do it? I think that's a very real possibility. Which then raises the question, if Trump succeeds, or if he fails for that matter, what will be the consequence? And for that matter, you know, has he already failed? I mean, this is, I think the way that the Democrats are portraying this is, you know, Trump's already failed. He wouldn't take yes for an answer back in December. He was all set to sign the legislation. It was worked out collaboratively with him, and then Fox News said no. Or can you think of a different reason why Rupert Murdoch is instructing his Fox News hosts to hold Trump's feet to the fire? Or is it that Murdoch has taken a hands-off approach to this? Bill Shine is gone. He's now running the White House communications which makes you think that this is not a one-off, you know, that this is a collaborative effort. But is it possible that Hannity and Lou Dobbs and these other right-wingers over at Fox have gone rogue? That they've decided that they're going to run the president? Because, you know, clearly we now have a White House that is being run by Fox News, by Fox News hosts. They're the ones that Donald Trump is calling up every night 
he's calling Hannity and Dobbs and these others and and you know well, what do you think I should do and where do we go with this and how do you respond to this and what should I be saying and what should I be doing and he's claiming that we have a crisis at our border now there is a crisis on the border it's the crisis of not enough immigration judges or asylum judges rather it's a crisis that Trump has created but it's not an emergency I mean I suppose it is if you're one of those families down there but compare that you know since Trump's tweet this is from uh, Axios's Steph Kite since Trump's tweet about the border crisis caravan this was on October 16 when he kicked off the 2018 you know midterm election strategy of talking about oh there's a caravan coming since that tweet 547 people have been shot in Chicago 111 killed that's a crisis 86 people were killed in the campfire in Paradise California that's a crisis an average of three men are killed every day in the United States by police officers that would mean since October 16th, when, when Trump started tweeting about the caravan, 255 American men have been killed by law enforcement. That's a crisis. 67,000 drug overdoses every year means that since his tweet in October, 16,000 Americans have died from drug overdoses. That's a crisis. Suicide rates continue to climb despite a healthy economy. That's a crisis. Seven U.S. military officers were killed in Afghanistan since that tweet. And this devastating report by government scientists in November on the impacts of climate change, that's a crisis. That's an emergency, in fact. Trump's not addressing any of those things because Fox News is not directing him to. So I truly don't know, and I don't think any of us know. I mean, we can speculate. My speculation is that these right-wing Fox hosts are just totally full of themselves and they're just reveling in their power to control a president. But why and where does this go? Morris in Long Beach, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Morris, what's up? Hey, Professor, I got one for you. Nobody really knows, but uh, we're speculating. If the president should order a national emergency, do you think that he will reopen the government? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll, he'll say, uh, I'm declaring an emergency. I'm allocating money out of, uh, so far it looks like it'll come out of soldiers' housing funds for the wall. And therefore, I've solved the crisis and I'm putting the country back to work. Okay, I disagree with you. I don't think he will ever reopen the government. Now, remember back in the day when uh, one of those senators went to talk to Richard Nixon about, brother, here we are, that magic moment? Yeah. Which senator do you think it'll be that'll go talk to Mr. Trump? Will it be Graham, Mitch McConnell? Who do you think it'll be? Because it may not be coming this year or this month, but it's coming. Yeah. Which one of those senators do you think it'll be to go talk to him? I honestly don't know, uh, Morris. And, you know, there aren't a lot of profiles of courage in the Senate. Barry Goldwater was the guy who went and talked to Nixon. And Barry Goldwater was a man of principle. You can disagree with his principles, but he was right up front about everything he stood for, and he did not compromise. You got that right. You know, yeah, including on the Civil Rights Act. Goldwater was, well, whatever. But you knew where he stood. I don't, I don't think that's... I, I can't see him reopening the government because this Mueller thing is, is just too heavy. And yeah. the best way to deal with that is to distract all of us. And the best way to distract all of us is to keep this government shut down. No matter what happens, Professor, I don't see him reopening up this government that, because in his mind, it's suicide. That's one of the theories that Amanda Marcotte puts out in, you know, over on Raw Story is, you know, she says that the only reason that she can come up with, or the main reason that she can come up with, for why Trump would uh, you know be willing to or why Fox why Fox would push Trump to keep the government shut down is that it is pushing off the off the front pages and thus off Fox altogether news of stuff like this this bombshell that came out Tuesday that Manafort was apparently funneling uh, campaign polling data internal campaign polling data to the Russians in a way that would allow them to micro-target. Okay, we're a little soft in this county in Ohio. We're a little we're a little soft in this county in Wisconsin. Let's uh, you know spend another five thousand dollars on on and it's really literally that cheap on Facebook ads that'll target just this one county in Wisconsin. And Facebook gives you the ability to do that that targeting advertising at that level. And and uh, if that's the case. And if that's part of the Mueller, if that's going to be ultimately Mueller's indictment, that the, here is the technique, here is the strategy, here is the method that the Internet Research Bureau, this Russian organization, used 
to defeat Hillary Clinton on behalf of Donald Trump in Wisconsin, Ohio, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. If, if that's the case, then, I mean, that's, that's a horrible, horrible thing, right? A foreign government actually did successfully alter an election in the United States through the use of, of, of advertising with the collusion of, the, of that candidate's campaign. Now, Trump today said he didn't know anything about it. But I remember Trump saying he didn't know anything about paying off Stormy Daniels or Karen McDougal either. And he lied through his teeth right to the reporters about that just as easily as I believe he lied this morning. This guy pays attention to every penny. He's an absolute tightwad. He would not, you know, and, and so, you know, I think that that's what's going on. Morris, thanks a lot for the call. Great points all. Hey, you know, you're going to start hearing nonstop weight loss commercials everywhere. And every time you do, I want you to think about Riduzone. It's the only weight loss product I endorse and the one that worked for my wife. Louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule and your metabolism, too, so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets and you burn calories faster. With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes, and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com, Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Tom Harbin here with you. So what what might be motivating, what might be driving Fox News to not allow Donald Trump to declare victory and move on? Is it that they think that the news cycle, the Mueller news cycle is so bad for him that if they can keep the government shut down until after Mueller's report comes out, it'll just push it off the pages and Fox can continue to ignore it? Like the story Tuesday night that Manafort was actually funneling internal Republican polling over to the Internet Research Bureau via via Deripaska. And then the Internet Research Bureau could say, OK, you know, we're going to spend another five thousand dollars on ads in one little county in Wisconsin where Trump's a little soft or two counties in Ohio where he's a little soft. I mean, it literally very small amounts of money. Once you have that data, that polling data, you can micro target voters with emails and with Facebook ads that do alter behavior. And, you know, keep in mind, Trump won the Electoral College. He lost the election by three million votes, but he won the Electoral College by 81,000 votes in four states. That's micro-targeting, and you can't do micro-targeting without polling data. Fox largely ignored the story. But it's a bombshell, and it's proof of collusion. Is that why they're doing this? Is that why Fox won't let him reopen the government? I got a note from somebody who's in tight with a bunch of federal employees who said that if this goes on to February 1st, federal employees are going to start losing their health insurance because the government isn't paying the premiums and the premiums are due on February 1st. If you're not getting a paycheck, you're also not paying your, your health insurance premiums. So unless they pay them themselves and TSA officers don't make enough money to have enough savings. I mean, this is a fairly low paid job in the federal government. They're not making enough money to pay for their own health insurance. It's a major benefit for them. What do they do? Dion in Carl Junction, Missouri. Hey, Dion, what's on your mind? I'm just kind of worried about the, the whole framing of this Donald Trump imagined crisis thing. I don't think it's about winning or losing or anything for him other than getting attention. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. I know we've talked about this. I've called in before and you said we can walk and chew gun at the same time. We've got to denounce him and come up with a positive agenda. But right now, it doesn't seem like that's possible because he has literally taken all the news and made it about himself right. in every way. And he does it every single day. I mean, I, when Obama was president, I remember weeks would go by without mentioning Obama because oh, you know yeah. he was just doing his job, keeping his head down, keeping quiet, and doing, doing the business of the, of the country. Uh, Trump, literally every day, it's, it's a, a reality TV show. He learned well when he was at NBC. With, so with what's the, the mechanism the to combat that? Because right now, I don't think our media, as constituted, is even capable of, of dealing with him in a real, 
substantive way because it's all about making money and he does drive ratings. Yeah. Well, I guess that raises the question. Is there something that would cause the media, the corporate media to say, you know, we're going to put loyalty to our country above loyalty to profits? Because I, because Trump's reality do, show is do, profitable. Do you see that happening? Yeah, no, I don't see it happening. I, and I don't see a mechanism to force it to happen. I mean, you know, Les Moonves' shareholder call back in 2015, I think it was, or 20, early 2016, uh, where he said, you know, Donald Trump may be terrible for America, but he's great for CBS. Keep it up, Donald. Exemplifies that. Dion, you're, I think you put your finger on a really important piece of this. Thank you very much for the call. Tom Harmon here with you. And Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. He is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Pocan.house.gov is his website. And you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I, I tweeted about this. I said, basically, uh, Trump just launched his 2020 re-election campaign with essentially the same speech that he gave in 2015 when he came down the elevator at Trump Tower and the networks paid for it. What do you think? He did what I think many of us thought he was going to, just put a bunch of misinformation that he's been putting out now for several years about the wall and trying to strike fear in the hearts of Americans. And uh, luckily he did it in nine minutes as opposed to a half hour because I think the rhetoric could have really, really got going. But, you know, he has put a lot of misinformation about the types of arrests, about whose fault it is for the shutdown, about drugs coming across the border, all the sort of old familiar refrains that we've heard, but what he's done so well at his rallies around the country. So uh, clearly this is Donald Trump continuing to stick to his message that worked for him once. Uh, but I was glad that, you know, we were able to respond and actually point out the you know, inaccuracies of uh, Mexico paying for the wall and a lot of the other things that he said, why this isn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Although Chuck and Nancy looked like they were in a hostage situation. I mean, it's <laughs> Boy, they probably uh, felt like they were. Actually. Yeah, no, no doubt. Bernie also gave a rebuttal last night, which was pretty amazing. And then uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on uh, Rachel Maddow's show. And it, one of the things I thought was most interesting, Congressman, was that on Fox News, they had Chris Wallace and Shepard Smith, the only, as far as I can tell, the only two actual journalists who are on that so-called news network. And they basically, I watched the clip of it this morning, they basically took Trump apart. They said, this is, you know, this is all lies. They didn't use the word lies, but it was obvious. You know, they said, this isn't true. This isn't true. This is an exaggeration. This lacks context. That was astonishing to me. Does that mean that, well, what does that mean? I mean, is it that Trump's shtick is growing thin with his base? Or does it mean that the oligarchs, including Rupert Murdoch, have decided that you know, this guy's going down and we're not going to go down with him? Or is that just, has Fox done that before? I, to, this is, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time that immediately following a Trump speech or anything like that, they've fact-checked him. Yeah, so, so those two journalists, uh, as you said, are a few of the only journalists that actually are on Fox, have actually called him out previously on some items. So the fact that they're still being true to their profession in some ways uh, is, is heartening, right, that they're still doing what they're supposed to. But this is the problem, right? He keeps putting out the same uh, lies over and over and over again, and people are going to start figuring them out. The more that happens, the less likely it is that the Republicans will do well in 2020 and, and in anything between now and 2020. So uh, there should be some concern that if the president's not going to be honest and say something that's so obviously of a lie or an exaggeration that he's going to get called out, uh, it weakens their overall case for what they're working on. So, you know, I think they realize, you know, with the 2018 elections, and when you have the biggest loss since Watergate in the House of Representatives for them, what he's doing really isn't working, no matter how much he thinks it is. But they're still, you know, at least among many members of Congress, afraid to take him on. All sure. right, let's start out with Brad in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Let's end WCPT. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman Pocan. I think the Democratic Party really needs to focus its messaging on the fact that Trump and his supporters are so, well, his supporters mainly, are so hateful and so racist that they will not just tolerate or put up with, but gladly and enthusiastically support a traitor, because that's how much they hate 
blacks, Hispanics, LGBTQ, um, women, and I think we need to appeal to that, let us say, 40% of Americans that are in the middle. You're never going to get the Trump people. They're just, they're just basically... They talk about American values, but that's not American. They're white and white supremacist values. That's their code word. But I think the Democratic Party really needs to focus on how the Republicans, the Trump Republicans, are not, um, they're not about liberty and equality and justice for all. Thanks, and I'll Brad. take my comment off air. Sure. Uh, well, I, I agree. I mean, I think many of us have been saying this, you know, I mean, these decisions, uh, the only reason for a wall, it's not for stopping drugs, because I think 90% come in through legal points of entry. It's not for problem, because we've got a net migration in the last decade of people leaving. It's for one reason only, it's to keep colored skin people out of the United States. And that's clearly uh, what Donald Trump is conveying through all of this, through every dog whistle and sometimes... Uh, more than that. And, you know, we've seen it, but that's only a small subset of the American public. So we're still winning in that we've got the vast majority of folks. But it is important to keep putting that fact out that because there is no valid reason for a wall other than Donald Trump wants it. That's why I think when we say words like he's throwing a tantrum or we talk about some of this, it's to try to help convey that there are other reasons for this. Uh, many of us are very direct about those reasons, but I, I do think the American people are certainly getting, beginning to understand that. David, listening on WGRN in Columbus, Ohio. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, um, Congressman. I was interested in the initial H.R. 1 proposal by the Congress. Is there something that's a companion bill in the Senate? I'm doing my best to call my representatives on these things, but what can we do to help that? Sure. Uh, well, David, thanks for your question. So H.R. 1, for everyone, uh, as a reminder, is the uh, elections, campaign finance, and ethics reform bill. So there's a lot of provisions in this bill, including, um, Tom, thanks to your listeners, uh, the interstate cross-check issue we've talked about, mm -hmm. uh, that language is in H.R. 1. Oh, great. fought for it to get in it because of conversations with your listeners. So I want your listeners to know we take things very seriously that come out of here. It became legislation last session uh, because of our conversations, and we got it put into H.R. 1 and also paper ballots as well as in H.R. 1. So uh, there isn't necessarily a corresponding bill in the Senate. I think they're going a different approach because the Republicans are in control on H.R. 1. But we hope that if we send it out of the House, you can put pressure on the Senate to take it up. And then we'll probably take a lot of these provisions and do them as individual bills as well to try to hit it at multiple angles. So if you're looking at who to call in the Senate, you know, maybe it's to get them to uh, find sponsors for some of these bills that we'll put out there, like our interstate cross-check bill, like our paper ballot bill, like a lot of the other measures that are in here. But um, we're also uh, met this morning as exec committee in the Progressive Caucus. We're talking about uh, the amendment process because we'd like to even beef it up more if possible. It's going to go to about five different committees that have jurisdiction over parts of it. And, uh, you know, we're going to hope to have the very best product coming out of the House, and we'd appreciate people's support. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, uh, yes. Thank you, Mr. Pocan. I was asking... Does the government have to be open before you guys can start holding hearings and subpoena people? Or can you do it during the shutdown? Because I was just curious on that if it's because you're not going to get any help from Mitch McConnell from this morning. He's, he's not going to pass nothing. But does the government have to be open or closed before you start subpoenaing people? We're, we're getting impatient here, Congressman. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. So, Russ, you know what? It's, it's really more, at least in the House, I can talk about, that we are today going to be announcing existing members, I think, going on to exclusive committees. Between now and the end of next week, we'll probably have almost everyone on a committee, and then there'll be probably some final cleanup uh, at the end of January. It's we don't have our committees fully formed yet. Uh, there's nothing because of a shutdown that should stop us. Now, if there was a shutdown, someone might argue they're in a closed agency and they can't come and speak to us because there are rules about, you know, some people are allowed not, aren't allowed to work during this if they're part of an agency that's affected. But it's not the reason it's holding anything up. Honestly, we're just in the process of trying to take all the members, put them on committee, and that begins today. Congressman Pocan taking your calls. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, uh, Tom, thank you so much for this town hall, Tom. And uh, Mr. Pocan, I don't know if I told you this before, but you are the next Bernie Sanders, so you should prepare yourself. 
Um, what I wanted to talk about is, you know, numbers of senators and congressmen, you know, are, have dual citizenship, and I don't think that's a very noble thing. Is that an issue that we can do something about to make sure that if you're representing the people, you only have one citizenship? And the second question, any illustration that we can do to prevent future government shutdown? Thank you. Yeah, so on the first one, I, I'm not aware of um, members that have dual citizenship, so I apologize on that. I haven't really ever put a thought to it, so Omar, I will uh, put some thoughts to it, uh, but I, I'm not aware of the situation. On the second part, you know, uh, a part of it is we did take care of some of this last week in the House Rules Package. There is a provision that I never understood um, that uh, every time you pass a spending bill, if you go above a certain amount and it lifts the debt ceiling, we had to have a separate vote on that. But you already voted on the budget to lift it. It was really another reason to cause problems. So whether it be the Republicans or the president uh, who wants to have another reason to threaten a shutdown or anything else, we had to have another vote, another uh, drama unfold. We took care of that in the rules so that now you automatically increase the debt ceiling when you have those votes, which makes a lot of sense and hasn't been in place for at least the last eight years. So um, that's one measure that could make it a little better, uh, but really we just have to get the budget process done. And right now, I think today when we do our votes, you're going to find more Republicans voting with us, and it's going to continue that way because they're feeling the pressure from the shutdown. So even Donald Trump is no longer claiming ownership. You notice last night he tried to blame the Democrats. They know it's not uh, good uh, politically to be in charge of the, the shutdown. George in Santee, California. We have a minute and a half to the break, George. Uh, quick question. Well, I would just like to ask uh, Congressman Polkan if he would speak a little bit on the BDS movement. What is it, the boycott, divest, and sanction on the Israeli-Palestinian uh, subject? Yes, so there is a, um, a bill in the Senate I can talk about, because in the House there is not a corresponding uh, bill at this point moving um, that would affect uh, uh, people to have ability to um, support a movement that would boycott in Israel, and we see it as a First Amendment rights issue, at least we, being many of us in the progressive movement, that uh, that shouldn't be something that passes. Uh, I'm uh, disheartened to see the Senate do it in a bipartisan way, because I think it's a bad idea to mess around with people's First Amendment rights. So um, that bill we have talked to our leadership about and been very uh, strong that uh, it should not come here and uh, be something we vote on, and I believe we have some assurances that it won't happen in the House of Representatives. Are you, we just have 30 seconds to the break, yeah. are you seeing any indications that this administration is doing anything to move forward a, a peace process in the, between Israel and the Palestinians? Uh, no, in fact, just the opposite. I think they've chosen a side, and it's very obvious they've chosen a side, and we no longer have the moral ability to try to be an arbitrator. And uh, in fact, when I was in Japan last February, you know, countries like that are talking about filling that role because everyone wants peace in the Middle East. We have given up our ability to be credible um, peace negotiators because of this White House. Remarkable. Here's a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. I used to constantly feel uncomfortable throughout the workday until I realized I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. So follow my example and ditch that no-name superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. I've been raving about how much I love my X chair for, geez, years. Well, if you're on the fence about buying one, here's great news. Now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. When you sit in it, you'll understand why I love my X chair so much. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to X chair Tom. That's T-H-O xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com, T-H-O-M. Or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR comes with a 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. xchairtom.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. John in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, Tom Hartman. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for your service, Mr. Bart Pocan. Um, I was kind of indisposed of last week medically, so I didn't hear. I was just told, but I just wondered why 90 of the Progressive Caucus went along with the pay go. I wondered that uh, because... That, that's a kneecapper right there. That would kneecap a lot of the progressive caucus 
from doing a lot of things. Congressman? Yeah, John, thanks for bringing it up. I'll, I'll try to be brief on this because we did talk about it last week, but uh, there was a lot of misinformation. And when I say lot, I mean giant capital letters, lot around what happened. PAYGO has been the law of the land since 2010. Um, it is not something that we had a separate vote on. Many people do not understand this. I've had a lot of conversations with people. Uh, we had a rules package that there is a provision that allows, that it had PAYGO mentioned because it allows the House the ability not only to waive the rule, uh, but also to be a part of the rule should it be enacted on something like if Medicare spending goes farther, for example, that gives you an ability uh, to not have the Republican Senate and the Republican House um, ultimately uh, be able to do the cuts without Democrats involved. So there are a lot of reasons why the rule is very, very different than the law that existed. The statute should go. Many of us don't support PAYGO, and that's why we introduced a bill last week to actually get rid of that. But that was the target. So the problem was there's a target right in front of you. People were shooting to their left or right, missing the target, missing the issue, and uh, improperly saying that there was a vote on PAYGO that was in the House of Representatives. There was a rules package uh, that had language that was specifically there to make sure that we could influence the process through the statute, PAYGO. The way you get rid of it is the statute. And absolutely, there's no way this was put in place to get rid of Medicare for All or any other progressive initiative. Otherwise, all the chairs of the Medicare for All caucus, uh, all the members of the progressive caucus wouldn't have voted for it. So I think one uh, person put out a tweet that was perhaps uh, a little misinformed because they were going after the issue of PAYGO. It had a little bit of uh, leverage from there. Um, we do not support PAYGO. We're trying to get rid of it as uh, actual law, which has been again in place since 2010. Uh, but the target was not the rule uh, on Friday. And in fact, in the rules were things like I mentioned. We got rid of the debt ceiling rules so we can avoid shutdowns. There are a lot of other really progressive initiatives in there. And uh, Again, I think in the in 280 characters, it's hard to get an issue like this out there. And the problem is the debate was all done on Twitter for the most part. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, wanted to believe that everyone sucks in Washington. Um, sometimes I also want to believe that. In this particular case, uh, I can tell you a lot of uh, people, um, you know, were doing what was right on that day. There was no vote on PAYGO, and many of them now are sponsoring our bill to get rid of it, but the debate last week got quite a skew. John in San Francisco, listening on our uh, blowtorch station there, 910 Real Talk. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. <laughs> Good morning, uh, Congressman. Um, this is John in San Francisco, and I was calling because um, last night was a good start, but it uh, was only halfway. Uh, having Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer stand and discuss uh, the, the Democratic proposals um, and position is great, but what they need is audiovisual behind them, an assortment of flags from other states, and have a banner which has a few bullet points of what the, the Democrats uh, stand for, because we need to provide a place for Republican, disaffected Republicans and, and independents to go, and if they don't see that, they just take the fake news and the Twitter in chief's uh, information as verbatim. And if we're not putting out the messaging and doing that on a daily basis in Congress, when Congress is in session, I mean, we've got 300 senators and, and congressmen now that are Democrats. And you just change the assortment every day and have a different person, different people representing the Congress, uh, the, the, what the work is every day between four and five, say, East Coast time, and um, and then get the message out and have that routine and give the Republicans and the, the independents a place to go, because right now they're looking for a place to go. And as Tom always says, we need to come out in overwhelming numbers, but this is a way to attract more numbers. What do you think? Yeah, John, so and let me answer it in two ways. First part, I think um, we are all saying uh, this right on Washington. We're trying to give examples, concrete examples of what the shutdown means and why it's an unnecessary fight over this, this border issue, especially keeping all the other agencies closed. It depends on what gets picked up. But I think to your first point, I don't know what the rules were, if they could do that or not, but that was the first thing I thought of, is if either the president or the Democrats had a good, you know, the president used a bunch of fake 
video about, you know, people at the wall and showing things when he described the problem. If we had used that, that's a much better visual than a couple talking heads standing in front of a podium. I'm guessing the rules were they couldn't do that, but I don't know that definitively. But that was my exact thought, is either one of them, if they had done that, they would have been far more effective than just the talking head, you know, putting out facts or, in the case of the president, um, falsehoods uh, about the issue. And I'm guessing it might have been a rule issue. I would think that if they had just sat at a desk and made it look like they were in a, a news studio and 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 because they were both there and and you know talked with each other and the American people, it would have been more impactful. But it might not be possible. You're saying? I, I don't know what the networks would have allowed, like whether yeah. they allowed video or not. But again, I think that would have been very effective. I agree with that. Yeah, because you've got a nice studio there. Uh, the Senate has a really nice studio. Yeah. Blaine in Thousand Oaks, California, listening on KPFK in Los Angeles. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, thanks for taking my call, guys. Um, the difference between Republicans and the Democrats is Republicans repeat lies over and over to get their message through, and the Democrats are afraid to repeat the truth over and over. I mean, for example, Trump is a Russian puppet or tool. Trump is, a child, is guilty of child abuse. Trump is a sociopathic liar. You know, why isn't this message, you know, Tom's talked about this messaging over and over. I've heard him for years talk about it. And uh, really, the Democrats that he's talked to as recently as Perez, they just kind of listen and, you know, agree and then ignore it. Uh, but, uh, and it's not, you know, and don't say the media won't cover you. You know, you got to make bold statements like that. And believe me, the media will cover you because, you know, it sells newspapers. But we have to get the conversation started. We have to use this messaging. Yeah. And Blaine, I, know Blaine I think you've made your point. Let's ask uh, the congressman respond. Yeah, Blaine, so I think this is something that, you know, as progressives, uh, we've certainly tried to do because we do have a lot of people in the caucus who think the way uh, the path forward, the path to getting their ideas accepted and into winning uh, is to appeal to the, the middle, and often they're talking about a very small subset in the middle. They think that they have to uh, weaken what they say, and I agree. Um, you know, our viewpoint has been you know, often half the people in the country vote because we're not talking to the other half. We actually talked uh, more boldly about the things that you're pointing out, uh, like health care for all, like uh, a lot of the issues that we know people support, uh, you know, debt-free college, etc. Uh, you'd actually have more support, more people wanting to come out and vote and wanting to support these issues. So uh, that's the big central point to the Progressive Caucus and what we talk about. The only difference I do have, Blaine, is uh, I've now been doing this for about 25 years, is you know the press um, don't always pick up the things that are said on the floor of Congress and that members are saying. And uh, once in a while, they'll hook on to a member or two, which is good, and then that can help amplify a message. But we still have an issue with that, and I don't quite have the answer to it. I know we've talked about it a number of times on this program, but I do think you know having the bigger, bolder ideas would certainly help to try to get that out. Martin in Vashon, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. It's, it's Martin Adams. I'm listening to KBCS. The military use of oil has been illegal to include in our emissions, and I'd like to know if it's possible to have the law repealed so that we know how much the war effort costs in emissions. Through that, we might decide that we can't afford war anymore. Are you saying, Martin, that the amount of oil that the military uses is classified information? Correct. Okay. And I think we need to change that in order to deal with climate change. Okay. Congressman? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could change that. I don't see any barrier to trying to change that. Um, I, I don't know if it ultimately will be as big of an expense as I think a lot of the money we spend with private firms and buying um, sometimes unnecessary equipment and being in places that we should long have left a while ago. And I think some of those issues may be um, even stronger in showing how we could scale back defense spending and have uh, more resources for education, health care, and other things that benefit people right here in the country. But specifically to your question, Martin, I don't know of a barrier that says you couldn't try to, as a Congress, change that law. Poppy in Oak Ridge, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, good morning, Congressman Paul Kams. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I would like to ask you a question. You championed for the voter suppression in 2018, and while you were doing that, I and my daughter lived in Oakland for two years 
for about a two-year span. And not in the white gentrification Oakland, but in the Lower East Side, predominantly black community. And one thing I learned while living there was mothers, elderly women are highly respected by the young males in Oakland. So I was wondering if forming a group nationwide, such as the Proud American Women of Color Voters, asking mothers to make sure that the younger generation registers to vote or re-registers in 2020, and maybe designate a certain month for that and a march for that issue, would that be enough to turn the tide against the Republican voters? Thank you. Yeah, Poppy, I, I think your suggestion is good. Anything that we do to move the ball forward uh, is important. You know, I, I'm very proud to be from Wisconsin. It's my home. I love it there. We're one of the, we used to be one of the top three turnout states for presidential races in the country, and then Scott Walker put voter suppression methods in place, and then we had the biggest drop-off outside of Mississippi, uh, which was certainly not something we're proud of. But, you know, the only way you have a democracy is if everyone has access to it. Uh, the great equalizer, the Koch brothers, and my brother and I have one thing in common, and that's we all have an individual vote. So anything that we do to help get uh, voters out and to end suppression is going to move democracy forward. So I would encourage you, uh, Poppy, to move forward on an idea like that. And any idea that we have to try to make it so that every single person is able to vote is going be real important. If your New Year's resolutions include taking better care of yourself and being smarter with your finances, Harry's has you covered. Plus, you'll get a great shave in the bargain. Esquire magazine was so impressed, they awarded Harry's their 2018 Grooming Award. Harry's smooth, comfortable glide and close shave will have you hooked in no time. I won't shave with anything but Harry's. Harry's wants to help you start the new year off right. New customers get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just use Tom, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each, and if you don't love your shave, you'll get a full refund from Harry's. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners to this program. New customers get $5 off a trial set from Harry's with the code Tom, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. That means you get a razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping when you use the code TOM at Harry's. Join the millions who've already switched and get on over to harrys.com today and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout to claim your offer. Kim in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan. Thanks for taking my call. Um, we are in the midst of a constitutional crisis for which there's no obvious remedy that's been built in. We have a sitting president who is potentially there by way of fraud, and he's holding our nation hostage. So we've never been in a situation like this. So my question is, is the Democratic Party um, talking about naming this a constitutional emergency and pulling a full stop until... um, things can be sorted out because we have lobbyists running all of the cabinets and we have so much being damage being done every day that that we need a we need to declare it a national emergency it's almost as if somebody sat down and said let's let's damage the united states kim thank you congressman we've been saying this the humanitarian crisis isn't at the border it's it's with this fight and what's going on with this white house um and more importantly the senate i think is saying they're not going to be moving uh bills until the government's reopened. So I think there may be, I'm not completely familiar with exactly everything the Senate's doing, but I think it sounds like they're finding a way to try to, uh, with the the unique rules they have in the Senate, try to slow down actions uh, with a shutdown. Um, But you're right. I mean, you know, all of this started um, a few weeks back when Donald Trump was getting a lot of bad press about the Mueller report and about Michael Cohen, his lawyer, flipping, and he had his dirty rat tweets and everything, and he had a lot of bad press. And he agreed to a deal that the Senate passed unanimously to reopen the government, and within a day he changed his mind. And I think a lot of the changing of the mind was trying to change the media conversation to something else. And but honestly, he was successful, right? We're not talking about uh, the direct woes he was talking about for a few weeks prior. So I, we just need to keep talking about us, what this is really about, and what our values are about, because I think people connect at a value level better than an issue level, and I think we will be victorious. Gene in Myerstown, Pennsylvania. You're on the earth with uh, Representative Pocan. Yeah, hi, Congressman Pocan and Tom. Um, one of my pet peeves is that when uh, on the mainstream news, when they're talking about uh, the wall, 
they come up with immigration, and then the talking head or whatever guest they have says, yes, we need immigration reform. Now, the next question from the moderator should be, what does that mean to you? If you had a magic wand, what would be your measures to make uh, the border safer and to solve this problem? They never, ever, ever ask that question. Yeah, and, and I think many of us point to what went through the Senate two, now three sessions ago uh, with about 70 votes in a bipartisan way would be a good framework to start. That includes a pathway to citizenship for aspiring Americans as well as additional protections at the border. But you can't, you know, the president's saying, give me the wall and then we'll talk about DACA and citizenship and everything else. And we know that the rest will never happen. That's why I think you often hear people say, look, let's talk about it in a comprehensive way meaning pathways to citizenship, meaning addressing the, wa- uh, the wall, meaning addressing DACA, uh, meaning all of those issues uh, as went through the Senate about three sessions ago. Quick question on follow-up on that. What do you think yeah. about Congress for family reunification, uh, naming the bill the Melania Trump Memorial Bill or something like that? Because, <laughs> you know, her family, her parents were just made citizens. And it was through this whole, you know, chain migration thing that Trump is so hysterical about. Well, and I think that's, Tom, that's such an important point to, to bring up, you know, had her parents been brown or black skin, it wouldn't be the same conversation, right? And yep. that's the problem with everything about Donald Trump is it is rooted at his racism and the racism that he's appealing to, that he's decided to appeal to in his presidency. So, you know, we need to make sure that we keep bringing that up because, again, I think most people in this country are fair-minded, see people still support immigration. The president's wrong on every side of the issue by polling, we need to be bold enough to keep pointing out what the real problem is. This president is appealing to very racist ways. Amen. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for being with us every week. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you. Great talking with you. Hey, if you'd like more of our program, more of the where we really dig into stuff, where I go off on a rant or we talk about the news that is really substantial, the deep dives, they're available to people who are supporters of our program. And We put these up every week, brand new ones, and and there's a lot of great content there. For example, our climate change, our most recent climate change one, the industrial processes that we've been engaging in over the years from 1955 to 2010, just that one period where we can measure how much heat we threw into the atmosphere, 93% of that heat was absorbed by the oceans. If it hadn't been absorbed by the oceans, the atmosphere right now would be 97 degrees warmer. The oceans are literally keeping us alive and saving us, and yet all that heat is also killing life in the oceans. Important stuff, you've gotta check it out. Thanks for supporting our program. Bob Ney is on the line with us with Talk Media News, the author of Sideswipe. This report brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and loving what you do, Alan Ratner's new book. Hey Bob, what's going on in the world today? Well, we're looking at emergencies, and can they do them, or can't they, meaning the president? But when you look at, uh, Tom, all the steps, the other day you and I talked about moving pieces to this, you know, and and if you look at it, because I was telling Ellen this morning, I felt he is going to do it. Do what? uh, Declare a state of emergency? uh, Declare this, yes, because he would either do it right after the border visit, or he will say, this is my prediction, he will say, I will give you Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer 24, 48 hours, whatever. He's going to do it one way or the other because, you know, he had his, quote, two meetings, the one he left, of course, and then he had his Oval Office address. He rose it to that level. He's got the border visit, and then he declares the emergency. And the other thing, you know, when I looked at this in the history of the Emergency Power Act, because although the United States Constitution doesn't mention any emergency powers, the Congress has delegated, you mentioned this the other day, Tom, the Congress has delegated at least 136 statutory emergency powers to the president. Right. 136 that he can capitalize on. Yep. Only 13 of those require a declaration by Congress itself. One example, Tom, and that's uh, 10 United States Code 2808. He can today tell the Pentagon, under that code, spend $80 million, rework the funds, and begin the engineering, et cetera, for the wall. He can do that this afternoon. Without a state of, without a declaration of emergency? 
Yes, sir. Well, well, no, he'll do the declaration of emergency, but he'll specifically go into that statute. Because Congress gave to the presidents, like I said, 136-some different avenues right. uh, of power. Which raises a question, Bob. If he declares a state of emergency and then uses that to get around the constitutional provision that only Congress can appropriate and spend money, if he does that, what else might he do? Well, he could do a lot of things, obviously, except for 13 different items. The war power, you know, that's still controversial what he can do when it comes to uh, declaring emergency for war. But he can do a lot of things. Just the one example I gave of the code, that would instruct the Secretary of Defense to carry out a, quote, military construction project not authorized by law. Wow. All the secretary has to do once the president says do it, one, the project is vital to national security or protection of our health, our safety, or the quality of the environment. Or number two, that the requirement for the project is so urgent you defer all the next inclusions on the Military Construction Act, you waiver every single thing that you have to do, you don't go to the committee of the House for approval, you just tell the Appropriations Committee what you're doing. Do you know when that was passed and what the context or the environment was? Well, I looked at the particular emergencies, and they were back in, oh, one was in 1977, you know. Mm -hmm. But this one, I think it was in 1982, and then now Thomas had some revisions. Mm -hmm. 2006, it had a revision. It had, I think, 2003, so it's had a history of revisions. Interesting, but it's never the been first invoked public before. Law, 97-214, I believe it was, was in 1982. And then they've had these revisions over the years that nobody ever hears about. Right, right. You know? and, and, it, and it's never been invoked before, Bob? Uh, well, they have invoked, for the Powers Act, national emergencies, they did, uh, for example, I think it was 19, um, oh, oh, the Clean Air Act implementation, that would have been 1977. Then they authorized military construction projects as an emergency in 1982. That hmm. would have been the Reagan So Reagan era. did it. As an emergency, construction projects. And then they used ex uh, existing defense appropriations for military construction. They took it, and that was back in 2018. I didn't hear about that. Wow. Uh -huh. That was $10.4 Now, it probably wasn't real controversial, you know, right. uh, at the time. So those are some of the things they did. They've also done an act for biological weapons, and that included the ban on human testing, and that was in 1969. Amazing. You know, you were a Republican member of Congress. Yes. How is this playing with the Republicans in the Senate? You've got four who've already broken with McConnell. He's basically keeping the doors shut. McConnell has 22 seats up. He's really terrified at what's going to happen. And Murdoch's so meeting with him this morning, by the way. I'm sorry, what's that? Murdoch met with him this morning in his offices. Well, yeah, and so, yeah, McConnell is walking a razor's edge, so he's not going to do anything. He's going to sit there, and he's going to let nature play its course of where his members go. You know, now three, maybe four. Can they get to 12? You know, it's a magic number for the Democratic side. I don't know. But McConnell, at some point in time, is going to save McConnell. Right. Yeah. That's what he's going to do. And I think his reaching out to Murdoch, assuming that McConnell reached out to Murdoch, I mean, it might have been the other way around. But something's going on between these two guys, these, these guys sure. who actually are running the country. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Okay, thanks. And check out Bob's book, Sideswiped. It's brilliant. Scott in Kent, Washington. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. Well, thank you, Scott. I have a question. Is there any rule or law in the Senate to be able to hold Mitch McConnell accountable for him not holding a vote uh, that got passed by the House? There is a uh, process, and I don't recall what it's called in the Senate. In the House of Representatives, it's called a, a discharge petition. What happens is, uh, in fact, they tried to do this uh, to Paul Ryan and they weren't able to get enough votes. If the Speaker of the House refuses to bring legislation to the floor and the members of Congress want to vote on that legislation, if they can get a majority, all it takes is, a, uh, I believe it's a simple majority, 
might be a majority plus something, but if they can get a majority of members of Congress to vote, then that legislation comes right to the floor for a vote whether the Speaker wants it or not. There is a similar procedure to be followed in the Senate, and I frankly, Scott, don't recall if it requires a majority or a supermajority, whether it's 60 or two-thirds of the Senate voting for it, where they can get around the leader of the Senate. But I can recall no instance of that actually having been accomplished, at least during the 15 years I've been doing this show. Is there any way that they can come up with some kind of petition or something like that to make it happen? Well, what they're doing right now, Scott, is they're using basically public pressure. Chuck Schumer this morning held another press conference and and said basically, this is on Mitch McConnell's feet. You know, this is Mitch McConnell is the one who's refusing to allow a vote on the exact same legislation, literally exact, word for word, Republican authored legislation that passed the Senate unanimously on the 18th or 19th of December. And, of course, then expired at the end of the year and has to be brought forward again. Mitch McConnell will not allow that to be brought forward. And that would open the government and it would give Trump over a trillion dollars for or over a billion dollars for his wall. The bottleneck here is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell could bring that to the floor. He could have a vote on it. It would definitely pass. In fact, it would pass with a veto proof majority. It would be a humiliation for Trump. Because when Trump tries to veto that legislation and say, no, you can't give me a billion dollars for the wall and you can't open the government, I'm going to keep it shut, they would override him very easily in both the House and the Senate. So McConnell is basically holding fast to whatever Trump wants right now. And that's what has to be called out. That's what has to be broken loose. And I'm wondering about this meeting with Rupert Murdoch and and Mitch McConnell, what's going on with this. Scott, thanks a lot for the call. It's one of the real issues of our day. Who the hell is actually running the government? It's looking increasingly, at least, you know, as, as it funnels through Trump, like Fox News is running the government, like Sean Hannity is running the government, which is a scary thought. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy, as, as Bernie always used to say, is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. We actually have to get involved. We can't just sit around and complain. We've got to do something. And that includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.